morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 1st of June, and my name is Helen Freer. We have progress on the US debt deal after the House passed the legislation yesterday. On today's show, I'll be talking about this and more market news with my colleague, John T. Warris. We also have Norbert Rooker with us this morning. I'll be talking to him about oil. And finally, I'll be speaking to Nicola Jordan to get an update from our CIO office. But first up is John T. Good morning, John T. So I just mentioned it. The topic of the moment is, of course, the US debt ceiling. What can you tell us there? Good morning, Ellen. That's right. Yes, the big news, of course, is yesterday's vote in the House of Representatives regarding the debt limit deal struck by President Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Late yesterday, the House at long last passed a bill to raise the debt ceiling just days before the US is expected to default. The final House vote was 314 to 117, with 149 Republicans and 165 Democrats supporting the measure. The next stop will see the measure being taken up in the Senate, where its passage is all but a done deal. The vote is being heralded as cementing Joe Biden's reputation for pragmatism and working across party lines as he seeks a second term. So it looks very much like a US default is off the cards, uh, which sounds like good news all around then. Well, looking at the bigger picture, yes, but it wasn't all plain sailing and slightly worryingly for the House Republican Speaker Kevin McCarthy, as 71 members of his conference opposed the deal that he broke up with President Biden. Yes, the debt ceiling bill would raise the government's borrowing limit until January 2025, meaning that the issue won't resurface before the next presidential election. But there were deep divisions on both sides. 29 Republicans voted against the motion, meaning that McCarthy was forced to rely on Democratic assistance to advance the debt ceiling proposal. And in other news out of the US, Fed Governor Philip Jefferson yesterday signalled that the FOMC is inclined to pause its hiking of interest rates this month. But he was clear that this should not be interpreted to mean that we have reached the peak rate. He wants to see more data before deciding on the extent of additional policy firming. And I saw we had some data out of China too. Can you tell us some of the details there? That's right, Helen. Uh, Following official figures China published yesterday, which showed a further contraction in activity weighing on Chinese equities, earlier today we saw Caixin manufacturing data being released, which showed a surprise uptick in activity, exceeding forecasts of a small contraction. And how have equity markets reacted to all this data and news? Well, I think it's fair to say that there's really quite a lot here for markets to digest. US equities finished lower in trading yesterday, though off their worst levels. The S&P, the Dow and the Nasdaq all ended the day down 0.6%. And yesterday saw the S&P 500 erase nearly all of its monthly gains for May on the final trading day of the month, amid speculation among traders that the market was getting ahead of itself. The S&P also dropped below its key 4,200 level after yesterday's weaker data out of China and Europe added to concerns about a downturn in the global economy. And what about other asset classes? How are they doing? Elsewhere, US Treasuries were firmer with some curve steepening. Yields on the 10-year and the two-year Treasuries slumped, with the 10-year yield now trading at 367 and the two-year at 444 when I checked a moment ago. The US dollar index was up 0.2%, faring better versus the euro, but lagging against the yen. And a higher US dollar, of course, makes commodities priced in US dollar more expensive for international investors. West Texas Intermediate Crude deepened its slide below $70 a barrel, and IC Brent futures were also lower. Elsewhere, the crypto rebound appears to be losing steam, with Bitcoin recording its worst monthly performance since the FTX exchange collapsed back in November last year. Let's finish off just looking at the day ahead then. What can we expect today? 
Well, over in Asia, the Nikkei, the ASX, and the Shanghai Composite are all trading in the green. The Kospi and the SGX Nifty are trading in the red. This morning, we can expect Eurozone inflation data and European manufacturing PMI numbers. And later this afternoon, US ISM manufacturing data is due. And looking further ahead, Helen, investors' focus is now fixed on the labour market report for May due out tomorrow, which is forecast to show that hiring slowed and that the unemployment rate edged high in May. Investors will be watching closely for any clues on what the US Federal Reserve might do next. And bringing earnings season to a close, semiconductor producer Broadcom and tech firm VMware will be reporting results after market today. And a quick look at the futures board shows the US is poised for a rather flat open later today. And that's all from me for today, Helen. Excellent. Thank you very much, John T, for the roundup this morning. Now, Norbert, great to have you on today's show. Good morning, first of all. So oil prices have fallen below $75 a barrel. What do you think is putting them under pressure? Good morning, Helen. If you look at the market, the sentiment seems to be really bearish, and it, this bearish sentiment feeds itself on several elements. Um, the bullish narrative always was that we're going to see tighter supplies later this year, and this really largely rested on the robust demand out of China. And you heard it partially, the latest economic data really rather points of a, a continued loss of momentum. And then another topic is that, uh, like on other energy markets, looking at the gas market, the coal market, most likely last year we saw some hoarding phenomenon because of the perceived scarcity of energy. Basically, everyone bought and replenished uh, storage. And there's lots of storage in the global oil market that's not really visible, it doesn't show up in data. And uh, with a reversal of this kind of element, um, this really also weighs on demand somewhat uh, this year now. And uh, the third big topic is really the petro nations, the oil politics, where we can very see increased scrutiny. Um, there's anecdotal evidence that uh, Russia hasn't really followed up yet on the pledge that they're going to cut production and exports. And uh, basically, if you look at the oil market, that seems to be very well supplied. And do you think oil prices are sounding an alarm bell for a recession? Well, you wouldn't go as far, but we, we understand if some uh, are a bit wary if you see oil dropping that way and up approaching basically seven US dollars a barrel. Um, but if you look at what's behind the drives that we just outlined, these are largely oil market specific drivers. We're not talking about a recession in China, but just slowing growth and momentum. And overall, with these prices that we see today, somewhere in, in around the 70s, even if they would go into the high 60s, this is really the sweet spot uh, for the global economy in terms of oil prices. They're high enough to still guarantee decent returns for the producers, um, yet they're low enough uh, basically do not become a cost of burden for the consumers. What's our outlook then for where oil prices are heading? Well, the sentiment eventually should recover because it's exceptionally bearish levels. If you look at the futures market, the positions there, which is kind of the key indicator to look at. So that could be a bit of an upside risk uncertainty uh, going forward. But overall, if you look at the fundamentals, um, we think prices are quite aligned with the fundamentals. We see stagnant Western world oil demand. We see growing uh, production, especially coming out of North America, other areas. We still see maintained flows out of Russia. The oil market can really cope with the Western sanctions on Russian oil. And then we also see a likelihood that the petro nations, in fact, surpass the quota they, they pledged. And I would also say oil politics, that's another kind of key uncertainty element. There seem to be cracks appearing in the cohesion. Uh, this might be something uh, positive, supportive for oil prices in the near term, but also maybe something more negative. And um, so overall, 
bottom line is we stick to our neutral view and we maintain a view that we rather see oil prices in the 70s than in the 80s longer term. Great. Thanks a lot, Norbert. Very interesting to get your thoughts on this. And let me move over to you now, Nicola. Thank you for joining us this morning as well. So we've seen a lot of sideways movement in equity markets over the last two months. Do you think this is going to continue? Yeah, thank you, Helen. And good morning, everyone. Well, we remain positive on the markets over the next few months, but we do expect a bit of a pause in the short term. We think that for the general uptrend that we announced last November to continue and especially be sustainable, the market needs to continue to remain skeptical. Now, why is that? Well, the bearish market participants have been a clear majority for several months now. And with the recent resilience, they are turning a bit more positive. Now, intermediate corrections would reinforce them in their pessimism. And as long as the market consensus is depressed, the pain trade remains up, meaning that the upside potential is greater than the downside potential from a market technical point of view. So in summary, a short downturn would be welcome from our side, and we are buyers on pullbacks while remaining invested. And the recent saga around the US debt ceiling, how does this affect your views? We were always pretty certain that a last minute deal would be reached. So we did not necessarily take it as a game changer to our general views. However, given the global headlines this story generated recently, we obviously had our eyes on the developments. Now, as you heard from John T before, it seems that we are close to a deal to suspend the statutory debt ceiling. We think that such an agreement should be supporting financial markets in the short term. In the longer term, however, the limitless increase of public debt in a higher rates environment could be a concern. That's already all from my side. Back to you, Helen. Great. Thank you very much, Nicola. So that is all for today. Thanks very much to today's guests and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be speaking to more of our colleagues, including Tim Gagey, who will give us all the latest on currency markets. Until then, have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Bear experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.